This is David Hunt. Um, it gives me a uh, pleasure to sit in for Wei Feng today as co-chair of the Griffith Asian Institute Center. Today, all the way up from Deakin University, we have David Hunt, senior lecturer in international relations in the School of Humanities and Social Sciences. His research interests are international relations, politics, and political economy in the Asia-Pacific region, particular focus on Korea, which he'll be speaking to us about today. He earned his PhD from the University of Queensland in 2005 and began working at Deakin in Melbourne in 2007. He's published on topics such as the politics of economic development in South Korea, immigration in the Republic of Korea, and the evolution of South Korea's foreign policy. He's been associate editor of the Australian Journal of Political Science during the journal's time at Deakin. He's also the regional editor for Asian Studies Review, and today his talk is titled The Politics of Immigration in South Korea. Thanks very much, Lou. Uh, it's uh, great to be here uh, uh, back at uh, Griffith after uh, some time and uh, pointing out to some of the audience that I'd uh, been here about 25 years ago. That was the, uh, the when I started uh, my undergrad studies in uh, what was then uh, there was a program called International Business Relations. I don't know if we still use that term anymore. Uh, but I, there was also the time when I first uh, started studying uh, Korea too, so it's been, uh, been a long time. Uh, most of my research, uh, as Lou has uh, pointed out in the introduction, has been more in the line of political economy, I suppose. And for me, this, uh, this topic, the politics of immigration, uh, is, a, is somewhat of a departure, but it also uh, kind of feels like a... Uh, sort of a natural extension of the things that I've done before, and uh, it's uh, I, I find uh, South Korea to be a, uh, a fascinating prism through which to look at a whole range of issues. I suppose international relations. Uh, there's the old line from I think it was on the waterfront where you, you, you try to get out, but they keep dragging you back in, and that's sort of what it feels like with with Korea to me. It's sort of every time I sort of try to uh, well, sort of go more comparative, I still find reasons to come back to to South Korea. Uh, and so today I wanted to talk to you a bit about. Uh, uh, what is, a, I said, a relatively new uh, area of research for me. I'm, I'm going to be drawing partly on a, uh, a paper that's uh, been accepted and come out in uh, comparative, sorry, in uh, contemporary politics at the end of this year. Uh, but it's also, as I said, uh, helping me sort of move in uh, sort of towards uh, where my sort of next body of work is going to be. I've been working with a few Korean uh, colleagues and other colleagues in Australia and New Zealand too about uh, looking at diaspora populations. Uh, but anyway, so today I said uh, focusing on uh, immigration in South Korea. Uh, South Korea is, uh, has the, the record of being one of the, the fastest growing, or having one of the fastest growing micropopulations in the world, albeit from a very low base. Uh, the number of foreign residents in, in South Korea uh, at its recent count at the end of 2014 was about 1.8 million, uh, which is, again, not a lot compared to some other countries, but I said the rate of increase is, is really quite notable. It had been only sort of 1.2 million a couple of years before that. So you're sort of seeing this doubling in the foreign population every few years, uh, to the extent that it's getting up to close to about 4% of the overall population. Uh, mind you, that is, as I said, foreign residents as a whole, so that's, in, that's including both uh, permanent and uh, temporary uh, migrants in South Korea. I'm, I'm using the term uh, immigrants here, I suppose, or uh, immigration to include all people who were necessarily born and uh, raised in that country to... Uh, uh, and uh, so, again, there's a number of different categories we're talking about. Uh, now, the uh, South Korea, I suppose, can claim to uh, uh, sort of have a reasonably generous, uh, comes across reasonably well, sort of in comparative perspective, by some counts. Uh, when there was a, a survey that came out recently from Amnesty International talking about uh, 
uh, sort of the, the propensity of countries to, to welcome uh, refugees to to, uh, to their to their country and in their country. And of the 27 countries surveyed, uh, South Korea came out reasonably well. Like you can see up the slide there that uh, they, they got a score of 60, which is sort of not too bad. And over, overall, it's sort of about what uh, countries such as uh, uh, Greece or the United States ranked, uh, some ways behind Australia. And, uh, and Germany, and interestingly, China sort of came out as the most generous country uh, to, in terms of welcoming refugees. Now, uh, you can uh, again one of the things that's worth noting here, of course, is this is this is reported willingness on the part of, of uh, individuals to welcome refugees. It's not necessarily the record of the country in doing so. So, uh, a lot of what I'm talking about today is survey research, and uh, I suppose the sort of what uh, people are saying. Uh, uh, what, what individuals are saying about uh, their, their willingness or their, their attitudes towards uh, towards immigrants. Anyway, this sort of data, I suppose, would be <coughs> some support for the idea that uh, uh, there, there's some sort of evolution going on that's quite interesting in South Korea about uh, towards a sort of a more open uh, uh, stance on immigration. Uh, having said that, there is a lot of criticism as well of South Korea's uh, record as, as, a, as a home to immigration. Uh, there is a there's a line of argument that South Korea hasn't really genuinely embraced uh, multiculturalism, uh, that there's a, in fact a distinct uh, lack of understanding of what multiculturalism means, uh, and that uh, there's even sort of by some measures uh, there's sort of latent or even overt uh, racism at play in South Korea. Uh, there's also criticism that government's not doing enough or hasn't done enough to to cope to to uh, help new citizens and migrants cope with life in South Korea. Uh, and so that you could point to some of the unequal treatment of foreign workers, for instance, in that regard. Uh, this sort of criticism, I suppose, is quite consistent with the view that South Korea's nationalism is defined in terms of bloodlines rather than birthplace. Uh, South Korea's immigration policy, therefore, too, is assumed to be informed by this, if you like, communitarian uh, uh, idea of nationalism and uh, a very strict interpretation of citizenship. So in this worldview, uh, there's, a, there's a close correspondence between national boundaries uh, and, and the political community, so very narrowly defined uh, in terms of ethnicity, language, race, things like that. So this, this is sort of a thick version of, uh, of citizenship, if you will, uh, emphasis on cultural similarity, collective sentiments. Uh, so uh, this is sometimes referred to as like a vertical idea of, of citizenship where you have uh, essentially a, a larger body of, of long-term citizens who, who by, by dint of birthright, uh, attain all the rights that go with citizenship, all, all, the, all the bells and whistles, but then you've got a smaller group of new citizens who have to really earn the right to be a citizen. Uh, and so in this view, it's, it's actually quite hard to incorporate non-ethnic Koreans into the body politic. Uh, the alternative view would be, I suppose, a sort of a more civic nationalist uh, uh, idea of, of national identity. People like Robert Dahl, sort of the classic liberals, would say that uh, the, the basic principle of democracy is, uh, is, is equality, and that if everyone... Uh, obeys the rule of law and, and they respect each other, uh, there's no arbitrary barriers to becoming a citizen. So here it's all the, the non-biological uh, factors that uh, make up, uh, make up uh, citizenship. So uh, ability to speak the language, a willingness to, to uh, comply with civic norms uh, and, and the like. Um, so this, this is sort of your horizontal version of citizenship. So as I said, basically no, no barriers, whether they be creed, race, gender, uh, to, uh, to becoming a citizen. This is your sort of a thin or universalist notion of citizenship. Now, uh, probably rightly so, I think South Korea is, is tend to be understood as, as part of that, uh, that that initial version, the sort of uh, the traditionally sort of an ethno-nationalist uh, view of citizenship. Uh, but I'm arguing, I suppose, that there's actually a bit of an interesting transition underway here. 
uh, towards uh, the, the gradual uh, sort of a gradual change in, in sort of the basis of, of Korean national identity. Uh, now, this is not to uh, uh, proclaim that there's been a drastic shift away from uh, from ethnic nationalism, or that uh, we're completely overturning that communitarian understanding of nationalism in South Korea. Uh, but instead, that there's been, in, I think, a very there's evidence to say that there's been a partial inclusion, at least, of elements of civic nationalism in South Korea. And I think this is quite interesting because we're, we're sort of uh, we're, we tend to assume that uh, once you've got a mode of uh, a sort of an understanding of, nation, of, of nationalism and, and identity, then, then th things don't change. There's a degree of path dependence at play. Uh, so instead, I think uh, uh, there, there is a sort of a form, there's the forming of a sort of a, a new sort of hybrid identity in South Korea. Uh, this, it's, uh, however, this is, what's, what's coming through is a, a new form of nationalism that's narrower uh, and uh, closer to perhaps I said the, the civic understanding of nationalism. And uh, I'm making the argument sort of in sort of three different ways. <coughs> First of all, uh, I said drawing very much on survey data, uh, I'm, I'm presenting uh, an argument that shows how South Koreans' views of immigration are moving uh, and changing uh, in a way that's generally more positive and receptive to, to immigration, which is not to say there's been a wholesale acceptance, but it's said there is a discernible shift over time there. Uh, to the extent that you now have small majorities of the population who are more generally disposed to immigration than they were only a decade or two ago. Uh, secondly, the, the data also shows us uh, that there are questions relating to that there, there are questions relating there to national identity and its formation, and uh, there, there is a distinct shift there too in the way that South Koreans understand or define national identity. Uh, and so, I'm show, I'd like to show how uh, there are certain elements, uh, especially those associated with the uh, the, uh, the ethnic nationalist conception of identity, are actually in decline, and instead, those that we sort of associate more with civic nationalism. Are, are becoming more important, or at least reported levels of importance attached to those. Uh, so things such as uh, an ability to speak the Korean language, uh, adherence to, to social uh, mores, uh, a willingness and ability so to, uh, to, to fit in with Korean society and to obey its laws. These are the things that Koreans are now saying are the most important markers of Korean identity. And the third thing, the third point, uh, and, and I can't think it fits in with the, the other two, is that there's been an interesting shift in the way that South Koreans are viewing North Koreans, North Korean refugees. So, uh, again, uh, we're, we're moving from a situation where South Korea uh, had essentially sort of constructed, Koreans have, had constructed a pan-Korean identity that encompassed both North and South Koreans, Koreans of all uh, birthplaces. Uh, but that really seems to be breaking down now. It's, 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 uh, there's, there's a real distinct shift there, especially amongst younger South Koreans, to, to treat North Korea as, a, as a, very much another country. Uh, and uh, so this has implications, I said, for, for the formation of national identity and its borders. Instead of a sort of this pan-Korean identity, you're seeing the formation of the first time of a distinct South Korean identity. Uh, and I said that really makes problematic the, the place of, not necessarily problematic, but it makes uh, somewhat distinct the, the, the place of North Koreans uh, in that imaginary. Uh, so, uh, so there's very much this view that North Korea is in, in fact another country rather than being sort of one of us. So, so they're the three ways that uh, I said I think uh, help uh, help make the case for this this shift in, uh, in in national identity in South Korea. All right. Uh, now, if we take a step back and ask, uh, sort of look at some of the, the theories of uh, uh, attitudes towards immigration, uh, there, there's some uh, there, there's a few things here that I think can help shape our thinking. Uh, a, a lot of the, the research is, is essentially based on Western European and North American experience, uh, and uh, there's usually a few sort of uh, indicators, I suppose, that, that studies have uh, have come up with uh, to help us understand attitudes towards immigration. 
So on the one hand, you've got uh, the indicators such as age and education, which are generally uh, fairly strong predictors of a positive attitude towards immigration. So essentially, younger people and better educated people tend to have more open attitudes towards immigration than older people and less educated people. So, uh, and there's been enough study, I think, in, uh, I said in Western Europe to, uh, to sort of uh, uh, suggest that, that's, uh, that there's some basis to that kind of claim. Uh, there's also a claim about uh, other factors, such as gender, for instance, which, which play a role too, but it's not quite as strong. Uh, generally, that the assumption is that, that uh, women are slightly more open or somewhat more open to, uh, to immigration than men. Uh, but again, that's not quite as strong. We can't be quite as confident about that relationship as with other, with other variables. Uh, there's also an argument about the importance of economic circumstances. So in other words, whether or not people see uh, immigration as being a threat to their livelihood, their job, uh, their well-being. And uh, I think this is the, the, what, what the, uh, the research has shown is that this is something that comes across very strongly in the, in the, in the in, uh, popular press as being a, a big issue and a deciding factor for, for people and their attitudes towards immigration, whereas in fact it's not that strong. So that, that, that's argued to be quite overstated. But instead, the, pe the thing that people uh, tend to focus on is the ability of new populations or new citizens to, to assimilate to the dominant population. Right? So maybe these are two sides of the one coin, of course. You, know, you, might not, you may not want to project the, sort of your uh, hostility towards immigrants in terms of uh, job losses. Uh, and instead, maybe, that, that's, maybe, maybe sort of the idea of cultural affinity or assimilation is this code for that. But uh, anyway, that, that's, uh, that's, the, that's the thing that's sort of come through in the research is that there, there's... The, the idea of cultural affinity comes through much more strongly in a much more powerful way than, um, than economic concerns in explaining sort of hostility towards immigration. So again, the, the, we've got some, uh, some indicators there that sort of tell us how people or why people might be more open to immigration, but also some, on the other hand, that sort of explain why there's hostility towards immigration. Um, so what I thought I'd, what I'd do uh, in, uh, in the next part of the talk is to uh, say, draw on some of the, that, uh, that article, the forthcoming article in Contemporary Politics, and uh, just see how these, these factors play out in South Korea. I said, there's, a, there's a longer paper, I don't have time to, uh, to go through all the data, but I thought it might be useful just to give you a bit of a flavour about what I found there. Uh, before doing that, it's just worth noting a couple of caveats about using survey data. Um, uh, again, I'm sure a lot of you are aware of this. Uh, uh, surveys uh, are meant to be uh, a way of identifying trends in, in, in pu public opinion at a certain point in time. Uh, they, uh, they claim to be able to... Uh, provide an accurate information, accurate information about a certain population, a representative sample of the population at a point in time, and allow us to draw some generalisations. Uh, uh, it's useful up to a point. There are a lot of caveats to attach to that too, because uh, there, it's, it's very possible, of course, for the, uh, the, uh, the quality of the data to be, uh, to be degraded if the questions are ambiguous, if the, uh, the, the survey itself is too long or the questions are too long or if uh, you don't get honest and truthful answers. So th this is always something we have to take in, into account, I suppose, when, we, uh, uh, when we're dealing with survey data. Uh, nonetheless, I suppose, if we, if we can uh, sort of attach uh, a, a bit of caution to it, it can, it can maybe help us tease out something about uh, how people are thinking at a certain point in time. Uh, and what I've done, uh, I said in the longer paper too, is draw on uh, the, so the most comprehensive uh, data sets available to me, there's the, uh, the World Values Survey held every five or six years, uh, and uh, there's been six waves of that, of that uh, data collected now. Uh, and thankfully, uh, South Korea is one of the few countries, especially a few uh, East Asian countries, that's been included in all six waves. So it gives us a little bit, it gives us uh, some markers of, of uh, tracing a change in social phenomena over time. 
Uh, and there are some questions relating to immigration there. Uh, I've also looked at, I've also used the, uh, the, the Korea-based East Asia Institute's uh, survey. They do one about every five years. Uh, and uh, there's, there's been a couple there from 2005, 2010, uh, 2010 that I've been able to uh, look at. Uh, and, and also a few uh, sort of more like one-off surveys as well. Uh, sorry, also the, the Korean General Social Survey, the Social Survey, which has been carried out over about a 10-year period each year, uh, and also uh, a, a few other sort of more one-off bases, including a quite comprehensive one about 10 years ago by the Korean Women, uh, Women's Development Institute. So, uh, so what I've done in the longer paper is try to sort of draw the, the uh, similar data together and, and sort of make a bit more sense of it over time. All right, and so... Some of the things we found uh, in, in terms of uh, uh, said attitudes towards foreign workers is that uh, you can see, you can see over, overall, I said, uh, this trend towards a more uh, open, if you like, permissive stance on, on uh, admitting foreign workers. Uh, so in the w, uh, World Values Survey questions, there was sort of uh, basically asked, yeah, what should our attitude be towards foreign workers? And uh, there were a range of uh, responses there, including let, let as many people come as want, uh, let them come as long as there is jobs available, um, uh, put strict limits on or, or prohibit outright ban on people coming in. And uh, what I did is I sort of collapsed the, uh, the, the, re the responses into two groups, either what, what you might call a permissive stance, people who were happy to let pretty much anyone come or, or, or anyone come with, with reservations, as opposed to people who were much more likely to, uh, to, to want to ban. Uh, and what, what, so what you saw at time is they said that overall there's a, there's a gradual trend towards the, the permissive side of things. Uh, if you look at it by age, you find, uh, again, in, in keeping with the expectation that it's young people who are by far and away the, the most open to uh, allowing more foreign workers into South Korea. Uh, so uh, probably no surprise, you can sort of see there the trend line, that they're, they're well above the, uh, the trend there. Uh, you've got the, the group of people in the, the 30 to 49 age group who are actually quite close to, uh, to the overall sample population, if you like, over time. There's this slight variation. Uh, and then again, in keeping with our expectation, it's actually the older population who are consistently below it. And if anything, probably getting a little bit more, uh, a little bit less willing over time across those three surveys to, uh, uh, to, uh, to foreign workers. Uh, if you look at it uh, on a sort of gendered basis, uh, again, I said there's, uh, it's a little bit hard to sort of uh, to sort of find clear patterns here. Uh, if anything, uh, they're, they're sort of, it's sort of a little bit counterintuitive or a little bit counter to uh, the expectation from the, the North American and European literature in that uh, uh, overall it's probably uh, male respondents who are a little bit more open to foreign workers uh, and female uh, respondents a little bit less so. But that difference really does almost disappear. Yeah. What's the scale of this, the y-axis? What's the scale? Uh, What's the 70-60 about the Oh, sorry, that's, that's percentage who agree with uh, a more uh, permissive uh, stance or more open stance on immigration. So uh, it's, it, w w what that's done is, as I said, it's combined the uh, people who are agreeing to allow anyone, any, any immigrants to come, or to uh, uh, let anyone come if, they've, uh, if there are jobs available. So in other words, you're saying because most are above 50 percent means that's why you say it's more permissive. Yeah, uh, for, for most of them. Yeah. No, well, that's the, that's the permissive that's the permissive count. Yeah. That, that's the uh, the openness count. So, if uh, uh, <coughs> let's see, so uh, if, if the, I think for the like for the 996, the, the, the total number of the population was about 50 percent. So it's, it's essentially 50 percent of people who said who were saying 
I've got more permissive stance and the other 50% I've got the, the restrictive stance. Okay, so. Uh, all right. So, so we see a slight difference there on, on, on gender basis. Uh, uh, education too, very much in keeping with our expectation. Uh, the, the people with uh, the, the university uh, education or above tend to be sort of quite substantially above the overall average. Uh, primary school uh, education sort of quite far below it. Uh, you, you can see a sort of a closing of that gap over time uh, to the extent that in the in the 2005 survey there was there was not so much, but uh, uh, there, there's sort of a, there's something there again which I think kind of confirms our uh, confirms that there, there's there's some correlation between the Korean data and what we've seen. Uh, in, in the overseas studies, uh, there's a, a couple of there's a question there too about uh, uh, whether or not you're comfortable having foreigners as neighbours. Uh, and again, this sort of uh, this sort of is uh, fairly consistent with uh, what we think. Uh, we look at it on an age basis. Uh, it's the so this is discomfort, mind you. So so uh, the the lower the, uh, the higher levels of discomfort are, can be uh, thought of as a more hostility towards immigration or less comfort with immigration. And so the greatest levels of, of discomfort here were with, uh, with the, the over 50 uh, cohort. Uh, and uh, for the most part, the, the, the cohort, the age cohort, was most comfortable with greater levels of immigration were said those under 29. There was slight, there was interesting sort of variation there in, in 1996. We're not quite sure why there was, that might just be a, an anomaly, but uh, for the most part, I said there's a, that, that kind of confirms. So uh, this one... The respondent is uh, Korean domestic people. So That's right, yes. It, from the world, it, it, Korean respondents to the World Values Survey. <coughs> okay. Uh, when on a, on a gender basis, again, you can see uh, a bit of a bit of uh, toing and froing there. Uh, not a not a terribly clear pattern. Uh, uh, probably in keeping with the the, the other slide. Uh, we looked at in terms of gender was that men slightly more with, uh, slightly more um, uh, slightly more open to uh, to immigration, but it's uh, it, it's a bit hard to, to pin down there. Uh, so it's the, the gender is the really non anomalous factor. Okay, uh, education as well. Sort of uh, you can see uh, you can see that, uh, that those numbers uh, switch around a little bit over time. But uh, uh, interestingly, in the in the first survey, or actually the first two surveys. Uh, uh, the uni people with the university degree had the highest degree of discomfort with uh, with foreign neighbours, uh, but then that uh, that disappeared quite quickly in in the in the three uh, later surveys from two thousand and one onwards, uh, and it sort of reverted more to uh, to, our, to our expectations. Uh, so again, I think taken uh, at this point, uh, and again, this mind you, I said this is only a very partial uh, set of data. I just I didn't want to uh, swamp you with numbers too much, but other than just to uh, I think make the point that. Uh, uh, to, to some extent, where the, the Korean experience seems to be resembling what we see about the uh, attitudes towards immigration uh, in, in Europe and, uh, and North America. Okay, uh, there was also a question there. I said uh, about uh, the role of uh, uh, economic circumstances, whether or not uh, people were hostile to, to immigration because of uh, perceived. Uh, 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 Possibility of losing losing jobs or something, or, or having their their livelihoods uh, degraded as a result of uh, of immigration. And uh, th this was uh, again, there's only some of the questions. I said it's only a partial picture. Uh, and uh, it's interesting to note that I suppose that some of the questions came out from from different surveys. That one by the Gallup International uh, Association 2012, but also the 
the Korean General Social Survey in 20, 2003 and 2010. Uh, and you can sort of see this, this rather, uh, uh, shall we say, lukewarm attitude come through towards immigration. Uh, in, in almost every case, you can see more people who are sort of agreeing with the notion that immigration is generally good for South Korea. Uh, so, for instance, in, in 2003, there was 53% uh, of people who thought that was, who agreed with that statement. Uh, and almost as many people agreed with it in 2010. Uh, in, in 2012, uh, when, when asked if immigrants had a, a positive impact on, on society, 40% of people agreed, and that was the most popular response. What I thought was very interesting here is that the really significant number of people who were dis either not so much disagreeing, but uh, neither uh, sort of in that neither category, so not willing to sort of uh, commit themselves to a view on these sort of questions. Uh, and again, that might be quite telling in a way that, uh, if, uh, as I said, given that given the uh, the caveats that we mentioned earlier about survey data and uh, uh, the importance of getting uh, honest and open responses, then these huge sort of non-responses or sort of neither of the above responses is is uh, yeah, it sort of it does cloud the picture somewhat. Uh, so is that overall, is that you, the, the, the glass half full version of, of the interpretation would be that uh, South Koreans have a positive rather negative view of immigration. Uh, but there's, there's no clear consensus, and, and that matters too, I think, because uh, uh, in the end, it's uh, the, the people who oppose immigration <coughs> are even more important than the people who support it. You, know, you sort of get this silent support, passive support, but you can get very active. Uh, resistance from from minorities population, and and that, that has a huge impact on, uh, on on new new citizens and new arrivals. Uh, so uh, so that, so there's that. I said about uh, sort of economic aspects of immigration. Uh, there's another sort of uh, set of data, and again, I'm just giving you a very brief uh, review of it here, involving a set of notions of citizenship, how people think about citizenship, uh, and there were there were a couple of different questions here that came out in in various surveys. I said the World Values Survey 2005 asked some questions on this. The, uh, the, the, the Korean Women's Development Institute, as I said, had their survey in t about 10 years ago. And uh, the East Asian Survey from the East Asian Institute survey also included this question in, in 2010. And uh, it's, uh, it's sort of interesting to sort of try to, try to glean something from this. Uh, giving a, again, citizenship is meant to be the, is the ultimate measure of social <coughs> acceptance. And uh, so if, if, you do if countries do expand the, the political community by allowing immigrants to become citizens, they're, uh, they're really actually changing the constitution of society. So this is, this is a very big issue. Uh, and uh, so you can sort of see that some interesting questions, when this is put to people, some interesting responses coming out. Uh, I said in that 2006 survey, for instance, uh, when asked if South Korea needs to become a multicultural society, you're getting about 40% uh, 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 agreement there, and, and that was the most common response. It outweighed the, the people who, uh, who said the opposite. Uh, the other option available was whether they should maintain its uh, unified and homogenous society, this Daniel Minjok uh, Sawe. Should, should we retain that? Well, people were not so uh, necessarily so supportive of that option. A significant number of people didn't, uh, didn't express a view either way. Uh, East Asia Institute asked a similar question there in 2010. South Korea must become, or do you agree South Korea must become a multicultural, multi-ethnic society? And again, 60% of people said yes. So maybe that's very easy to do. You can sort of, you know, it's, it's a little bit hard to disagree with that, isn't it? Uh, and again, what are you going to say if, you, if it's you sort of being asked that question uh, in, in the survey? Uh, but uh, again, what this is actually telling us is, uh, I said, maybe open into interpretation. Uh, there were also a series of questions there about uh, should we put fewer restrictions on citizenship? Should it be harder to achieve? And, and again, there's a sort of glean, pulling out a few uh, bits of survey data here. Uh, you can see that uh, 
bit over 10 years ago, there was a survey there sort of saying that the restrictive regulations barring foreigners from acquiring citizenship be relaxed. So wording the question matters a lot, doesn't it? I mean, the, the, the fact that you're sort of implying that the restrictions are too, that the regulations are too strict uh, sort of will uh, probably appeal to people's uh, sensibility somewhat. You know, of course we don't want things to be too strict. So, uh, so you sort of have that kind of response there. Uh, and then you sort of get these anomalous responses where, for instance, uh, when, when, the, when the, the, in the 2006 survey it was asked if the law should be changed to make it easier for foreign workers to get citizenship. Well, most people agree with that. When the question was asked a few years later by a different outlet, slightly different wording, uh, you got almost the opposite response. 70% of people respond, uh, opposed to it. And it seems that the word easy sort of matters a lot here. So it's not that citizenship shouldn't be possible to achieve, but it shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be given away. That seems to be uh, one thing that, uh, the, that well, that's, that's my interpretation of, sort of maybe what, how, why we're seeing those sort of responses. Okay. Uh, then there were uh, questions that directly asked about national identity too. What, what makes up Korean national identity? I thought, again, there were some interesting sort of findings here. Uh, so here, uh, so the East Asia Institute uh, asked specifically about this twice in 2005 and 2010, and also the ASAN Institute uh, did their uh, their polling in in 2013, and they asked a very similar line of questioning too. Uh, so, uh, and uh, I thought it was just interesting to sort of line up the responses uh, uh, together there and, and sort of again try to make some sense of that. Uh, and I, I guess one reading of this data is that uh, you could really say that. Uh, there has been a shift away from uh, this idea that bloodline is the primary uh, determinant of, of Korean identity, the primary marker of identity. Uh, so instead, the, the most important uh, marker coming through is actually holding citizenship. Uh, so uh, so in order, if, if you are to be consider, considered a South Korean, you have to hold citizenship. Uh, so if anything, that bloodline factor actually drops quite a ways down the list. Uh, if you look at the sort of the collated, averaged... Uh, figure there on, on the on the right hand side, you can see that it, it's actually uh, come quite a ways down, and it's you, you can sort of see some uh, uh, <coughs> the, the first two uh, the first two criteria there using the, being able to use the Korean language, holding citizenship, sort of by far and away the most popular responses. Slightly below that was, was the idea of understanding Korean history and respecting Korean traditions and customs, uh, and also respecting the political system and its laws. So obeying. Uh, social, obeying, obeying the laws of a democratic society. So there's always that there's a slight difference there, but those four sort of come out quite clearly in front. And then you've got the rest of the criteria, being born in South Korea, having Korean blood, living most of your life in South Korea. So uh, I think that, that was sort of an interesting uh, uh, sort of finding. Uh, and again, by that reckoning, you might be able to say that uh, uh, there's, uh, there's sort of a bit of a shift going on here. Uh, uh, so I said that the two that the two that have sort of shown the most change are I said respecting the political system and its laws and understanding uh, culture and history. Uh, so conceivably, it is possible uh, in this view, in the eyes of South Koreans, for non-ethnic Koreans to to become a citizen, so long as they understand it well enough, and as long as they can learn the language. So that that's sort of quite interesting that it's that in the eyes of South Koreans, it's possible to receive the full sort of uh, societal level recognition as a citizen. Uh, all right. Uh, the, the last little sort of bit of uh, data I wanted to point to was, I said, relating to the, the place of North Koreans, uh, because they are, they are 
treated quite differently uh, in, in the grand scheme of things as uh, in, in, the, in the story of immigration. They, they formally go through the Ministry of Unification as opposed to uh, the Korean Immigration Service. So they're treated quite differently from, from the get-go. Uh, and uh, it used to be that of, the, of all the potential new citizens for South Korea, uh, North Koreans had the, the most sort of straightforward path. Uh, essentially by arriving at, in South Korea or at a South Korean uh, embassy abroad, uh, it was possible for North Koreans to essentially uh, attain a, a South Korean passport, sort of subject to, to proper debriefing and vetting, I suppose, by the, uh, by the security services. But uh, the, the view was that North Koreans are essentially Korean citizens uh, who, have, who just happen to be living uh, in, in territory that the South Korean government doesn't currently control. Uh, and uh, traditionally there's also been uh, sort of a strong uh, sympathy in the South Korean public <coughs> towards North Koreans. Uh, but uh, arguably, uh, the, what, the, what the survey data is picking up is that there's been a quite distinct shift over time, especially amongst young people, about the way that they're looking at North Koreans. Uh, about 10 years ago, some of the, 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 the KGSS survey there was showing that uh, uh, almost 40% of South Koreans had no interest in North Koreans. They just, just were not concerned about them anymore. So there's a very quick turnaround in, uh, from a time when there was great sympathy towards, towards North Koreans. Uh, and I said, especially strong amongst people in their 20s and 30s. Uh, there was a, as part of the, uh, the Asan survey in 2013, there was even a suggestion that uh, uh, most South Koreans had, a more, had more empathy and more sympathy for, uh, for people from, uh, from immigrants from China, the US or Japan than they do from North Korea. So that's, uh, that's quite a, a marked uh, change. Uh, so you might sort of say that North Koreans no longer have or no, not automatically have the, a special place in the South Korean imaginary. Uh, said in the, 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 those, the survey data there is sort of showing uh, that the, the number of people who are feeling uh, very close or somewhat close to North Koreans is, uh, is, is not terribly strong. It's barely, barely 50% or slightly below it. Uh, and in fact, there's a uh, sort of a slight decrease in the proportion of people who have a, a positive view of the, the idea of admitting uh, <coughs> Koreans at all. Uh, now, I think a lot of this decline, I suppose, can be attributed, of course, to uh, something that's not North, the, not the refugees' uh, fault at all. It's really, it's sort of really geopolitics, and if you like, the, uh, the, uh, the the failure of the Sunshine Policy to achieve its goals. Uh, so uh, we must remember that a little bit over t uh, 20 years ago, you had uh, you had the Kim Dae Jung government came to power and his successor, uh, and uh, uh, Noh Hyun as well. And uh, they, they probably did unrealistically raise the expectations for uh, a swift uh, improvement in inter-Korean relations. Uh, and it seems, if anything, that the, the, uh, the North Korean uh, refugees or defectors have been caught in the middle of this. They're, they're, sort, of, uh, they're sort of a victim of the, uh, the fact that the, the, the North Korean uh, regime has proven to be a far more intransigent than, uh, than a lot of people in South Korea might have expected. Uh, and uh, that, uh, that, that sort of seems to be part of the explanation for what's going on in, these, in this view of North Koreans. Uh, but as I said it does leave uh, North Koreans in a bit of a predicament because they've uh, they've sort of uh, now, in, in, in a sense, kind of uh, isolated uh, in their own category from uh, from the rest of the, the greater Korean population. Uh, an interesting thing is that the, uh, this ho the the hostility or the sort of the, the coolness towards North Koreans, such as it is, uh, doesn't actually map on very easily or, or neatly to overall patterns uh, or attitudes towards immigration. Uh, in fact, uh, I was sort of mentioning before that the sort of older respondents, uh, older South Koreans who tend to have a, a cooler attitude to immigration, tend to have a much stronger and, and warmer feeling towards North Koreans. So it's sort of it's, uh, it's sort of slightly counterintuitive there. But I think it can be explained by the emergence, as I said, of this uh, this uh, narrower 
new form of identity that's emerging, where it's really about a South Korean identity, uh, which means that North Koreans are outside, uh, as opposed to that pan-Korean identity which had, uh, had dominated before. Okay, uh, wrapping up then. Uh, so the, the few things to, to conclude here, I said uh, I, I apologise for not being able to give you the, the full and complete picture. I said if you're interested, I'll be very happy to send you a copy of that paper. Uh, but uh, no, nowhere near enough time to talk about it today. Uh, first thing I think it's worth noting about is that uh, the, uh, the, the findings from, from the data uh, uh, have generally supported the claims I said, from, that we saw in uh, the, the immigration experience in North, in North America and Western Europe. They can be taken to read uh, to confirm a lot of those findings. I said about the role of, of education and age as predictors for support of immigration, uh, gender's uncertain role as well sort of came through I think quite clearly in the data. Uh, and uh, even though I didn't have as, as much to uh, as much data available on this, uh, even though that, that issue of uh, economic concern versus cultural affinity sort of seems to be confirmed, I think, in, in what we can see of the of the Korean data here. So, so that, that's quite interesting in a sense. That we, it might well be uh, one argument is that South Korea is following a similar path to to Western countries. Uh, seems like a, you know it's a big statement to make, and I said I think that needs a whole lot of caveats to uh, to try and make that claim. But uh, yeah, this, this clearly needs to be confirmed through more rigorous studies, and I, I said I'd like to, uh, to do that uh, in, in the next uh, year or two with, with uh, some um, other projects moving forward. Uh, having, uh, having said that, of course, uh, I think it's worth saying that the survey data, I said, should be treated cautiously uh, for, for the reasons I mentioned before. Uh, in particular, I think there's a, there is a, always that possibility that uh, it, it's, it's underestimating the, uh, the opposition to immigration. So I said all those, those high levels of non-responses or non-committal responses uh, probably need to be drilled into, if possible, through a, through a, sort of, uh, a, a different form of, of research, more, more sort of focus groups, if you will. Uh, and like I said, there, there's always that shortcoming in survey research about participants not providing honest responses on these sensitive topics. Uh, so it's, uh, it might be that the people were just avoiding uh, having to disagree with something openly that they, uh, they, they felt strongly fear of being labelled a racist or a xenophobe or something like that. Uh, but it also might be that it was, it's very hard sometimes to, uh, to, to form a clear judgement on topics that you're not very familiar with. So the idea of whether or not immigration is good for society, I mean, can anyone sort of answer that? Really? Uh, so that, there, there's that sort of problem there too. Uh, what was interesting was that certainly when, you, when the issues were broken down into sort of more identifiable human subjects rather than immigration, when we started talking about foreign workers or foreign children or international migrants, <coughs> you saw quite different responses. Where the more humanised and the more personalised the, uh, the questions were, the more agreement you would get from, uh, from the service. <coughs> so, that, so that was interesting too. Uh, finally, uh, and I said this, this relates to that point, uh, uh, certainly survey data can't, uh, by its very nature, capture the full picture. It can't capture the full picture <coughs> of immigration because of the, the one major actor we're not talking about here is the state, and uh, the, uh, who, of course, sets and, and implements formal uh, official immigration policy, but also has a huge influence on the shaping of nationalism and national identity. Uh, so uh, even if, as we claim, uh, the South Korean public's view of immigration is becoming positive, and if ordinary South Koreans are more open to, to an inclusive approach to immigration and, and accessible notion of citizenship, it's not necessarily the case that's going to translate into to, uh, real change anytime soon. Uh, so like in many matters related to South Korea, as I said, this fascinating country, uh, this, this sort of developmental state mindset, this strong activist state, uh, can't be underestimated. It seems it's such a, a sort of a permanent feature. Uh, and I think future studies ideally will be trying to 
try to capture the perspective of both state and society uh, in, in the politics of immigration. Uh, with that, I'll leave, uh, leave the talk, and thank you for your uh, attention today.
all people from different parts of the world coming. Um, and the second one, if you could just flick back to that earlier slide where you had uh, elements that people thought were important. This one? Yep. Yeah, this one. Um, is this one? Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering how this relates to Japanese Koreans. So, for example, there's a lot of, well, for example, the, the Koreans who have been born and raised in Japan, their grandparents um, came to Japan like, you know, a decade or more before the Second World War, so they've grown up in Japan. They don't have Japanese citizenship, they have Korean citizenship. Yep. But in, for many of them, especially the younger generations, they don't speak any Korean, they don't have any real knowledge of Korean culture or background. Well, they go to Korean schools, of course, in Japan. Well, most of them don't. They used to a long time ago, but most of them don't. Most of them go to Japanese schools. They're, they're culturally Japanese. Okay, their identity is Japanese, but their legal status is Korean. Right. Yeah, they have Korean passports, right? But many of them have never even been to Korea. Okay. So I'm just wondering... So, you know, for example, they have South Korean citizenship, mm -hmm. but they don't meet any of these other criteria. So, what do you have any information on what the attitudes of South Korean people are towards these people, like the the Korean Japanese, especially given you know the ongoing animosity between Korea and Japan as well? So, what kind of attitudes yeah, yeah. do we see? There? Well, there have been a few surveys done, and uh, I didn't provide the data here today, but uh, that does show a, a sort of a bit of a stated hierarchy in terms of preferences, as you say, and uh, warmth towards some cohorts of immigrants than others, or, or, or potential potential immigrants. Uh, so your, your first question about where do, where do people come from, where are the immigrants coming from, like I said, you can, you, without wanting to simplify it too much, you can, you can see some distinct cohorts. I said you, you have low-skilled workers who come on the sort of the, I said, the labour hire schemes, uh, who are sort of predominantly from South Asia, not, not predominantly but not, not wholly. Uh, then you do have, I said, you have the so-called marriage migrants that uh, David referred to mm -hmm. as well, coming from uh, East, East Asian countries, uh, the Philippines, Vietnam, uh, China. And of those, uh, a, the vast majority are actually ethnic Koreans. So, or an incre sorry, an increasingly large number are ethnic Korean from China, so especially from China. Uh, I don't know so much about Japanese Koreans. Uh, I also, uh, I'm also not really able to provide a terribly great answer to your question about the treatment of, say, the, the Zainichi Koreans, these Japanese Koreans, as opposed to those from elsewhere. Uh, but what I would say is that I think there is a there, there is a theory of, uh, of immigration that essentially you always try to go somewhere, even if you're a diaspora, you always try to go somewhere where the living standards are better. So, so for instance, uh, if you're a Brazilian Japanese, as you know, sort of in the early 90s, there were a lot of people who would go to Japan because Japan's standard of living was, uh, was then and still is better than, than Brazil's. It's less of attraction, I suppose, for, for your um, uh, Japanese Koreans to, to want to go to South Korea or, or North Korea. You know, if they, if they, those that went there went there for specific reasons. Again, generalisation perhaps, but I, th I think there's a probably an element of truth in that too. So South Korea is a very attractive destination for some, some of the Korean diaspora in places like China, uh, for instance, northern China, but uh, maybe less so for, for Japan. Uh, I, I suspect overall that, uh, again, I, I, 
I know, I, I know there's been studies done, but I, I, I don't want to um, quote it incorrectly. I, I would suspect that the overall animosity towards Japan, uh, Japan as a whole is, is going to flavour the, the, the treatment of uh, uh, South Korea's views of, of Japanese Koreans. But I, but I don't have the, the data. If I could just, just clarify this very briefly. I was more interested in not so much in the treatment or attitudes towards Japanese Koreans that go to mm. South Korea so much as just the general perception of Japanese Koreans in terms of whether or not they're seen as Korean given you know the uh, the tension between some of these criteria that you have here so I mean yeah. do you know anything about for example when they see well, this guy is a, a Japanese Korean Mm. Um, and he's got a Korean passport, but he's not really Korean. I mean, is that the attitude, or I'm just wondering... A little bit that way, and uh, there's uh, interesting <coughs> distinctions drawn between, uh, say, children and adults, too. So uh, if you're... The, 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 there's sort of... Essentially, if, you, if, if you're a child of an international marriage where one of, the, one of the parents is a Korean, basically considered full, full Korean. It's, sort of, it's, it's, it's so close. They actually sort of rank almost the highest now. Uh, it's uh, so there, this. I guess it's maybe telling you, some, but, but different response if you're an adult and you're sort of making your own choices. So there's sort of a that, that, that sort of I think is maybe telling us a little bit about the story too. Is there mm. sort of intentionality or something? Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah the, but no, you, you raise a very good point because uh, uh, how how say the, the Japanese population would fit into there. Uh, I'd, I'd have to look into that one. So. Mm. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for the interesting presentation. Uh, my question is about the survey. You know, you talk about the survey, the survey, survey. data, yeah, mm -hmm. the survey data. You talk about uh, you know the survey only asking the foreign workers or foreign workers. Does the survey uh, categorize different types of foreign workers? You know, you talk about the low skill mm -hmm. worker versus some you know uh, high skill. Mm -hmm. Because you know there's some report in Europe, like the European country. The people they conduct survey. The Europeans uh, they more likely to welcome the high skill worker instead of the low skill uh, refugee. Or so that I'm just wondering whether you can discuss more about whether the uh, survey have that kind of question. It, it certainly did, and uh, you're you're absolutely right. As your your intuition is correct in that uh, there's a, a much more favourable uh, attitude towards white, white collar workers as opposed to blue blue collar workers and. Uh, in any form of skilled versus non-skilled, there's that big distinction drawn there too. Uh, and, and, and look, you, you could read that as well to uh, to have a, a racial element, because I said essentially the you know I said that the low-skilled workers are coming from certain countries, and the high-skilled workers are coming from a different group of countries. So so it's you know, again the skill category might be code for for something else. But yeah, you're, you're definitely right. I, I didn't want to again. There's a lot of data I didn't show today. Yes. If I add one thing uh, regarding your answer. Basically, you can uh, safely assume most of migrants for low uh, skilled labor rather than high skilled, in particularly in Korea. Uh, some high skilled labor works in Korea, but not for uh, migration. So, migration, when you talk about migration, most of the people are low skilled. Uh, a few people in the queue. I think I've got everybody in the queue. Um, so, next is. I have a question about, in say, gender, age, education, and impact. Are you testing, uh, are you just looking at the attitude change or testing the significance of these impacts? 
also video test the interaction of these factors. Maybe older people with higher education are more willing uh, to accept immigrants. So and also, that's why 1996 may be an in, uh, interesting factor. We don't have the economic survey data. Um, but if you have those, that's right before the uh, financial crisis. Yes. Now you can look at whether the people that might be affected, they're more willing or less willing to uh, accept uh, My other question is, uh, the world uh, survey data and the world value survey data and like other uh, data, survey data, they might focus on major cities. Sorry, major cities. Mm -hmm. If you're only doing major cities surveys, uh, like South Korea's agricultural rural areas, there might be quite different attitudes um, towards different groups of immigrants and sectarian as well. There are all the differences. If you ask someone, do you want them to recruit uh, more immigrant workers? There will be quite a different uh, question you will get to the Yes. Uh, <coughs> thank you. Uh, no, look, they're all good points here. Uh, in terms of the the final question you asked, uh, they, <coughs> they they do weight the. I think the uh, I think World Value Survey has a sort of a standard uh, model of about twelve hundred responses per year per country, and they do try to uh, uh, weight that sort of rural urban as well, sort of bit to be reflective of the overall population. Uh, so and again, this is one of the pro I suppose one of the shortcomings again of relying on secondary data. But uh, uh, so, so I suppose it is. It is tr they are trying to sort of account for that. Uh, but it is possible to do the cross tabulation, look at regional variation. And uh, even though I didn't do it uh, for this so much, I, I suspect you're absolutely right. I think you'd, I think you would definitely see uh, uh, some variation there in uh, perception of uh, of immigrants. And the interesting sort of uh, I suppose. To that is uh, that uh, in terms of the, the, the marriage migrants, the women who are, who are coming to South Korea to marry and to have babies, they're actually predominantly in rural areas. So it's sort of it, there's sort of an argument that sort of South Korea is becoming sort of a said two countries or something, multiple countries where you've got this Seoul, you know Seoul and Busan or something, these where it's largely homogenous, you know, Koreans marrying Koreans, uh, and and sorry, <laughs> yeah. And uh, these little islands, and then and the rural areas are quite different. So, uh, yeah, and so you see that in Taiwan too. Uh, you, so so that yeah, that, that's interesting. Uh, the the point you raised about the uh, the timing, and I said the the issue about the uh, the Asian financial crisis. Again, I agree with you, and uh, I in fact uh, sort of speculated a little bit about that in in the longer paper too, because I, I I suspect you're absolutely right. The the uh, things such as the financial crisis are affecting different people in very different ways, and uh, I've on a a different part of that paper. I was also including income, and again, you can see quite a divergence in education and income levels. So people become a lot less interested in, uh, or a lot less uh, favourable towards immigration if they're uh, after that time. You can sort of see a couple of, and even after the, the, the for the 2010 data was collected, say two years after the global financial crisis, and again, there's a bit of a, a bit of a discernible shift there. I uh, again, again, it's only. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd need to test that more. I'd, I'd like to sort of test that more, but it, it's a fair presumption to make. Uh, the and, and you also asked about, uh, you made the point too, I think, about drilling down further and looking at, say, high-income uh, older people and testing their value, uh, testing their attitude, and uh, I, I haven't done that, but I, I, yeah, I'd be very interested to see the results, so I'll, I might think about that for the next step. Thank you. <coughs> um. 
Yeah, mine, mine was actually anticipated a couple of the questions, but the last one I had is maybe relates to, to Fung's question as well, that in looking at the response to migrants elsewhere, at least in some countries, there's been a slightly puzzling result that um, native-born populations in places where there are a lot of foreign migrants are pretty tolerant, um, whereas you have places that are exclusively native-born that are highly intolerant of migrants. So that, again, British-born people in London are very relaxed about migration, whereas many other places in Britain that have very few or no migrants are very exercised about migrants and very negative about them. And similar sorts of stuff in other countries as well, which you know may be a product in some ways of income or other things. But I was just wondering, and it gets to maybe the regional variations. Yeah, I uh, uh, I've sort of got that on my to-do list is to sort of look at uh, in the next phase to look at regional variation. Or I uh, I didn't do it so much for, for that paper, but I, I not to suggest that it's unimportant. That's for sure. Uh, uh, and, as I mentioned a moment ago, yeah, you might sort of see that those capital cities where there's more life chances, relatively speaking, than some of the regional cities, you're, you're going to see, you can, you can imagine there's going to be some quite big differences there. Yeah. Um, thanks, David. Look, just a couple of things, uh, and, and it sort of fits into that kind of almost the issue of provincialism in, in, and the idea of national identity in South Korea, uh, that some people <coughs> can think Chola is actually maybe a different... Uh, that Ch Chola, Ch Chola is, is actually a different part of different country. Uh, a country almost that, that, this, that in a sense that within the political system over the 80s and even the 90s you still had that kind of political fragmentation you know, Pusan, Seoul and also even the southwest uh, that the actual national identity in South Korea has become solidified because of democratisation over that period of time and is that sort of coming to in a sense more so now that, that's what I'm asking is that, is that part of the story here of the nature of, of South Korean national identity, that there is not that great sort of intensity of provincialism that you had perhaps in the 80s and 90s. That's just one thing. The other thing I'm interested in is that within the Korean constitution, do they actually utilise uh, a word specifically that denotes blood? In other words, the word for people, uh, like, you know, in English, and I'm, the reason I'm saying this because I know in the Japanese constitution, they use the word national people, not not people. So it only relates to people who are Japanese-born, Japanese blood, um, and whether that's the case. Um, um, and the other one is uh, the issue of um, uh, peak business bodies in, in Korea and their particular perspective on immigration. Uh, I'm assuming that the government policy is in alignment with that uh, in terms of what the peak bodies, but whether or not policies are actually in the direction of social sentiment, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. So there's a couple of things there. So. Yeah, uh, good, good, good questions. I, I, <coughs> I'm not sure about the constitution issue. Are, are you able to offer any insight to that? Is <laughs> By the laws of the was bad. <laughs> yeah. but, it's, but it's the particular word, yes. There's the particular Korean word that you use for people. You know, does that have a connotation of blood or, you know, Korean people? And, and then everyone else is not Korean. My impression is not that uh, specific, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Okay. It's, it's like, you know, Hanmin Chok. It's like, Hanmin Chok is like, you know, the Korean people, but it's, mm. well, Korean race. But, but, yes, Korean race. Yes, it's, it's a blood, yeah. But Greg's, you say, constitution. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, that, that term doesn't appear in the constitution, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not an expert on the constitution, so I couldn't Sorry, tell you that. Okay. Uh, the, the 
question about business is a really interesting one. I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, I, I guess it's probably worth saying, though, that the you know Samsung's not really into three D industries, are they? Or sort of not, that's, you know, Samsung or Hyundai, whatever. Not um, they're, they're they're high end manufacturing. You know, they're not the ones who are looking to employ low skilled labourers. So right. um, they no doubt would have a view on, on immigration, uh, and I think uh, they companies like Samsung sort of do bring a lot of skilled workers in, I suppose, but uh, uh, so I guess they'd probably be in favour of a, quite a liberal uh, immigration regime, but I, uh, they're a sort of probably different part of the story, so I don't, I don't I'm not really sure. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking of business associations, of, I assume there's a peak business association, once again I'm using Japan yeah, as my base, but, yeah. but also unions as well, the attitude towards yeah, that, that's a another whole group. Definitely. Well, I, I, the unions have generally been sort of advocates for better treatment of, uh, of uh, foreign workers, uh, that's for sure. Uh, say about business well, I suppose the other thing about the major corporations is that, you know, post- Asian financial crisis, a lot of them have offshored, so they're not, you know, the, they, they probably don't have a, a great, they're not a great concern about protecting jobs at home as such, or production at home, you know, so uh, for them it's maybe not that important, I don't know. Uh, and the point you raised about the provincialism original Chola as this yeah. idea of a transition, in part because the the democracy is maturing over that period, mm-hmm. whether or not that is actually maybe having an impact on attitudes. Um, given that yeah, Kim Yong-sam in 94 and mm. Kim Dae-yong in 98, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the, all parts of the country were covered in, in a way by the president of the country, right? Yeah. And so is it getting a more cohesive party than it may have been in the past? When I was preparing this paper last year, I uh, initially was the, the connection was between very much between democracy and immigration, and I was trying to tease that out. <coughs> but I found it very hard to sort of uh, do that through the data, so I ended up sort of doing it in a slightly different way. Uh, and, you know, I was doing sort of cross-tabulations, look, looking at people who were supporting democracy and looking at people who were seeing what connection there was with favourable views of immigration, and it just wasn't very clear. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make any... couldn't draw any clear conclusions from it. But, uh, I guess what I'm sort of saying is because the political leadership has been sort of satisfied by Seoul and Pusan and Chola because of those three presidents, right, that there's a legitimacy in the system that everyone has the potential to actually be represented at that level. Has that somehow ameliorated uh, tensions in the polity? So, anyway, so something. I'll, uh, I'll be interested yeah. to think about that one. Yeah. Yes. The last question. Uh, thank you. Thanks, David, for, for the insightful uh, yes. attitude, changing attitudes towards citizenship. I'm just wondering, the, when I read the title of the paper, Politics of Immigration, how do you connect it to attitudes to it? You know what I mean? I mean, I was, I was probably looking for a paper that looked at the policy-making process of immigration, and how that is responding to changing attitudes. I'm just wondering whether yeah. that's the paper that you're going to um, develop further at some point. Or yeah, yeah, no. It's, it's, it's really more about attitudes. True, and I, I suppose one thing I again I did more in the, the longer paper. I'm sure you're all dying to read now because you've heard so much about it, uh, is uh, that it was sort of... The, the assumption is that it's essentially been a top-down process, immigration policy, yes, and, and, and again, there's a degree of support for that view, you know, sort of, and I sort of touched on that at the end of the... that, uh, you know, that you could, you, the fingerprints of the state are everywhere. 
but I suppose I was interested to sort of try to, uh, one thing I did in that paper was more to see what the interaction was between state and society and sort of say, well, if we've got this bottom-up view of the immigration societal level, then is that having any impact on, on the shape of immigration? And uh, I, was, I was trying to sort of tease out that connection more. Uh, so, so again, I'll... Uh, you're going to have to read the, uh, the long version. Yeah. Anyway, so. There's no way. It's always the same. Must read. I have one more. But in connection, I'm really waiting for the politics. <laughs> well, I'm really curious. I don't know if you have readings on is the, the government have a long-term demographic projection wherein you can tweak the... Just in case if you've seen the whole picture and there's a projection and how many apps collected by that time, will it swing down? Will the, the government now have plans of tweaking immigration policies so that as early as now you can plan? I don't know. If there's <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure, but I have seen uh, there, there was a study done a few years ago that was suggesting that South Korea would need 10 million immigrants between now and 2050 just to maintain, yeah, also just to maintain the labour force, not even so much about the population. I think the population is going to decline anyway, sort of uh, in relative terms, but there is just to maintain a, a sort of <coughs> working labour force. So it's, uh, it's a big issue yeah, sort of, and they, they are aware of it and I think they're trying to, uh, the government's probably trying to address it in a number of ways but uh, uh, you, you know, despite all the assumptions of this all-powerful state, they're probably also meeting some resistance, and I think there's, uh, there's, there's great sensitivity towards you know, this more visible uh, foreign population. So it has, uh, they're, 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 they're grappling with that, yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, to your opponent, you know, interpretation of serving the unclear role of First, you showed uh, many nice uh, survey research uh, graphs. Uh, I presume that is based on uh, the cross-sectional uh, survey over the time. Uh, interpretation of survey uh, cross-sectional wise, that's okay, that's fine. But uh, you need to be very careful uh, extending this uh, survey results over the time uh, because uh, there could be uh, strong sample bias. In other words, uh, this is not general, uh, generally not based on a genuine final data. So the sample could be uh, very different. The reason why I raised these issues, I found some uh, the graphs are fairly uh, counterintuitive. For example, uh, the, the friends of uh, these comports with the foreigners, I expected uh, it has downward sloping curve, but uh, in fact, uh, the result is quite different from uh, my expectation. Uh, if uh, that is the real uh, fact, then that could be a very fascinating uh, outcome, but I suspect uh, sample bias uh, could be involved in this uh, the, the trend. That is one thing. Another thing is unclear, uh, unclear role of gender. When you talk about the migration, I may think uh, from demand side and supply side. Okay? 
And uh, in the 1980s and the 1990s in Korea, in particular, demand side for migration was uh, very strong. Particularly demand for female was very strong. The reason for that is to solve marriage problem in farming area. So uh, that uh, implies if you uh, divide more uh, different sample, uh, subsample, uh, probably uh, this finding that was unclear role of gender really could be different. So that's my comment. Okay. Um, yeah, look, I, I, uh, I, like I said, I, I suppose there's, there, there are risks in using uh, secondary data, so existing data sets, because you're, we're not able to, uh, we, we've got a, um, we're not fully aware sometimes of how the data was collected or the sort of the makeup of samples, so I take your point there. Uh, just in terms of... Alice, you need to add a full note. Sure. Uh, in, in, you, you did raise, you sort of said you thought there might have been a counterintuitive uh, result there about the discomfort levels. I think actually that um, maybe it was just the way that I presented it. I might have, might not have been terribly clear, but uh, overall, I think you, you find that the, the overall discomfort is decreasing over time. It may not um, be terribly clear there, but it, it, it is actually the case. It is the the the, the, the it is actually an overall decrease. There's, there's some, some popul like the, the primary school educated population is increasing, and for high school, uh, some high school it was actually increasing. But it might be added to those are very small samples. Because I guess by, by 2010 or 2005, so many South Koreans had a university education that you know, they're, uh, they're making up a much greater proportion of the respondents. So, so it's probably, you know, that's probably skewing the results a little bit there. But the, the overall trend is for a decrease in, in, uh, in, in discomfort levels. So can you give me an idea of what the overall increase in immigration to South Korea has been? So for example, say over the last 20 years, have we seen a dramatic increase in the number of um, foreign people living in Washington? It, it is a dramatic increase, but from a very low level. Yeah, so, but yeah, there is a dramatic increase. There, there is, and you can, I think you could sort of almost say it's it's almost doubling every five or ten years. You know, so sort of over what the, period? So the last 20 uh, years? 20 years, yeah. yeah sort okay. of, uh, and, you know, for, and for almost every cohort too, like the number, even the number of North Korean refugees is sort of, I think it's about every... So there's been a pretty sustained and large increase in foreign people of foreign nationalities moving to Korea, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and maybe what you could say is the, 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 the motivations for coming are wider now. You've got more, more people coming for more different reasons, whereas before yeah. it was relatively small people, number of people coming for almost the single reason of low-skilled labour, and then, as you say, you added uh, you, you add marriage migrants, then you add white-collar workers, and some of them come. You know, so, yeah, what, so, I, what yeah. I was getting at is that, I mean, one way kind of trying to test for any kind of biases or misrepresentation of the data. It's just to look at, for example, you know, um, the rate of growth in terms of foreigners moving to South Korea in a relatively short period of time. And if that has created any kind of social problems, dislocations and so forth within Korea. So, I mean, from the very little I know about South Korea, which is pretty much what I'm reading in the news these days, um, I don't read anything about there being any kind of crisis within South Korean society about concern over foreigners arriving, about 
um, you know, major discrimination against foreigners. I'm not hearing anything about that. So what we're seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, what we're seeing is a rapid increase in the number of foreigners living in South Korea with little or no obvious negative effects. Would that be a fair characterization? Well, yeah, but, I'm, but we're saying... But I, would put a I would put a parallel to that. We wouldn't hear much about, for example, foreigner crime in, in Korea in Western papers. You'd see them in Korean papers, possibly. If you look at Japan as a case in point, you hear about foreigner crime quite a lot within Japan, but you don't hear it in international media. But news. you're not hearing anything about tensions. The taxi driver thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the rating, the, yeah. the Austrian, the yeah. media. That is by foreign Nigeria. Yeah. So there actually have been a few incidents like that, and yeah. uh, as you I think as Greg pointed out, they're just maybe it's not. No, they're, they're, it's, it's not part yeah. of the national. Korea Mail doesn't actually pick them up. It's a local. It's a local news in Korea. No, well, that's yeah. why I'm asking. Yeah. Is this happening? Though? Are Look, there problems? There, there, I think there are, but again, I guess we also have to try to put a put it in some perspective. And uh, I don't necessarily think it's uh, you know inconsistent sort of with what we talk about here in that. It, it probably, I think, my, my, the intuition would be it's probably a, a minority of the population who has a problem with immigration, and the majority are sort of not that worried. You know, or sort of, or it's sort of, it's just it's not affecting them. But it affects a, it affects certain people in certain parts of the country, and they will get upset about it. And I think government's very concerned about that. Uh, but then you've got this sort of passive majority. You know, sort of, you know, go back to the start there. Those levels about you know, welcoming. Refugees? Do you want to welcome refugees? Yeah, sure. You know, so if it's not going to affect me, then, it, then it's fine. Yeah, but it's when it when it does affect me, then I get upset about it. So uh, I think that's probably the, the phenomenon you're seeing. Okay, that uh, probably brings us to a good close there. Let's thank our speakers for a very good session. Thank you. Very much. <laughs> Thank you for your questions. Uh, there are pro-North Korean elements. Yeah. I, 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 I,